Hey, I'd love you if you'd grab your Bibles or grab a Bible that's nearby. Turn to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11. If you're joining us in our Bible reading, this will satisfy your need for today because this is the text for today, giving you a little bit of a head start. We're going to start a series uh, this week on prayer. And um, this, I'm going to kind of use this as a, as a key text throughout our journey. We'll keep coming back to it. It's a wonderful passage where Jesus does some teaching about prayer. And um, let me just read verses 1 through 13 for us this morning. And then we'll have just a brief prayer and then launch into our message for today. Now it says, he was praying in a certain place. Now the he there is Jesus. Now, one of the reasons I tell you you need to pray is because Jesus needed to pray. Now, I know a couple of you are probably more spiritual than Jesus and don't need to pray. But the rest of us, we need to be praying because even Jesus prayed. He says he was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. It's probably a great request for us to make of him as well, too, right? Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John, and that's a reference to John the Baptist, also taught his disciples. There's probably some sense in which some of the disciples of Jesus were familiar with the teachings of John the Baptist. They might have even been followers of John the Baptist. And with that, uh, they, they had heard John teach about prayer. So Jesus responds and he says, When you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. We're probably more familiar with Matthew's version. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he goes on to say, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. As for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And, and, don't, and do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Hospitality was a, a sacred responsibility in the ancient world, and so even though this friend had showed up in the middle of the night, there was still a, a pressing sense of obligation to put something before him to eat. And since this one has nothing to provide, it picks up in verse 7, seven says, Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children have, I, have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. He says, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend, he says, yet because of his persistence, in other words, in order to get him to go away <laughs> and stop banging on the door, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you'll find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? There was a, a fish in the ancient world that they ate that looked a lot like a snake, and so this is the idea of kind of giving a counterfeit, something that looks good but really isn't. Sometimes when we're asking for things, we're, we're asking for what we think is good, but really in God's eyes, it's a counterfeit, and, and, and so he, he works for our best. And picking up in verse 12, the same imagery. Or if he asks 
For an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Because so, sometimes a scorpion, when it's all balled up, can look like an egg. He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray for just a minute. God, as we come to this passage of Scripture, as we come to this series, we pray that we'd have hearts like the disciples, that we're ready and eager for you to teach us how to pray. God, I know that for many of us, that, you know, prayer is one of those things that seems so elusive. We, we want to do more of it. We know we should do more of it, but somehow or another it just gets regularly regulated to the kind of the sidelines or ways in which we find discouragement or we don't really know what's going on in prayer. And God, we come to you today with a spirit that says, Lord, teach us about prayer and teach us how to pray. So open our eyes, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that can understand. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. As we were laying out this 40-day emphasis, today's message was supposed to be the rah-rah sermon, right? Get you all eager to be getting into learning about prayer and, you know, reading the book and getting into the Word about it and finding a life group to be a part of and et cetera and that kind of stuff. And, and when, I, when I thought about that, I, I was immediately just encouraged because I've got to tell you, the Bible is just littered. I mean, it's just littered with tremendous prayers that get answered by God. I mean, it's just, it's just full of stuff. I mean, there's a number of resurrections that happen in the Bible as a result of prayer. You know, both Elijah and Elisha, the two great Old Testament prophets, both of them bring children back to life who have died. And these are, these are children of women who have been ministering to these prophets. And both of them experience great loss. They see it as, as being a form of God's judgment because they're unworthy and the prophets are so holy. And, and the prophets pray over these children and, and the children come back to life. That's pretty cool. You know, and then you get over into the New Testament, not only, even outside of the the miracles of Jesus. I mean, you've got, got Peter, you know, who goes into the, into the city of Joppa where, where um, Dorcas, this woman Dorcas, she also goes by the name Tabitha is. It's an older woman who's been ministering to the, the poor women of the city and, and she dies. And they've, they've got her laying in an upper room waiting for Peter to come with his expectation that something could still happen. And when he gets there, he kneels down and he prays over her. She comes back to life. You know, same thing happens with Paul, you know. Paul's preaching away in Troas to the, the leadership there. He's on his way back to Jerusalem for the final time. He, he realizes he's never going to be back this way again. And so he's preaching, he's preaching, he's preaching. And this young guy is sitting in the window because it's so hot and it's late at night. His name's Eutychus and he falls asleep and he falls out of the window and he dies. Now, I've had a couple people pass out in my sermons, you know. In fact, they usually sit over in this corner over here. So Russ and Hank and you guys, you may want to make sure you have some. And, and I mean, I've even passed out before I preached once, you know, which was not a pretty scene over in, in Northboro. And, you know, but I've never had anybody die as a result of my preaching. But Eutychus, he falls out the window. He falls three stories, the scripture tells us, and he dies. And Paul goes running down there and he, and he prays over him and he comes back to life. That's pretty cool stuff. And that could get, our, that could get us kind of get our spiritual adrenaline going and start praying, right? And then, then you start thinking about some of the other things that happened in prayer. I mean, there, there were great victories that were won in battle as a result of prayer. 
You know, one of those stories is from Exodus chapter 17. The, the people have, have moved out of Egypt. They're wandering through the wilderness, and they're making their way, and they come up against a nation that's, and, whose king is Amalek, and they don't want the Israelites to pass through. And so there's a battle that's going to happen. So Moses says, brings Joshua, and he says, this is going to be our plan. You're going to take the guys. You're going to go out for the battle. He says, I'm going to take two guys with me. I'm going to go to the top of the hill. And when he says, and when I, I'm going to stand on the top of the hill with my hands extended with God's staff in my hand. And so he, he gets to the top of the, the, the hill, and he's, he's, got his, he's holding the staff. And, his, and whenever his arms are up and the staff is up, the Israelites are winning. They're just driving, you know, those, uh, the Amalekites back. But you ever held your arms up for a long time? After a while, it started to get heavy, don't they? So, so during the day, I mean, it's going on for hours. During the day, Moses just, he, he just, he just got to put his arms down. He's just tired, you know? And, and, um, and whenever his arms come down, the staff comes down, in other words, whenever the prayer position, if you will, is lost, the Amalekites start beating the Israelites back. So finally, they just, they pull up a rock, okay, for, for Moses to sit on, and he plumps himself down, he puts his arms up, and Aaron, his brother, and a guy by the name of Hur, H-U-R, they, they grab a hold of his two arms and they hold him up. So the people have victory. Prayer was a key element. Didn't matter what was going on in the field, it only mattered whether or not the people were dependent upon God in prayer for the victory in the battle. Incredible stuff, right? And then you've got Hannah, who prays and prays and prays, and finally God gives her a child. And it's not just any child. It turns out to be Samuel, you know? The, you know, just the, not only the spiritual, but also the political leader, if you will, of the nation. It's an incredible kind of thing. You know, um, there's just a, a, amazing things. How many of us have wished that we had days where we just had more hours in a day? You know? Well, Joshua, Joshua, at one point in time, he wished for more hours in a day. No, no, let me change my language. He prayed for more hours in a day. They were in the midst of a battle. They were having great victory. They weren't going to have enough time in the day to complete the victory. So in, jo in Judge Joshua chapter 10, he says, God, just stop the sun in the sky. Just keep the moon there. Keep the sun here. And the sun stopped. And it was probably the only 48-hour day on record. You know? I mean... Prayer does some amazing thing, doesn't it? I, I love the story of Elisha. You know, uh, um, the, the Arameans are oppressing the Israelites. You know, and so they're coming in and they're doing raids and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, um, Elisha is, is serving in the northern nation of Israel as, as a prophet. And the Arameans are, are planning their skirmishes into Israel. So they say, oh, okay, well, let's, let's mount up, get ready. We're going to attack this city over here. There's only pro one problem, is that God was using Elisha as a source of military intelligence. So every time they would make their plans back in the, in the kingdom of Aram to move into the, the promised land to try to take one of these cities, God would tell Elisha, who would tell the king, and they'd move the troops over to that city, and they'd be ready for it. So the, the king of Aram, he, he gets mad. He says, all right, there's a traitor among us. We're going to figure out who this traitor is. And, and then they said, no, 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 we don't have any traitors. The problem is that there's Elisha. You know, he, 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 he's got a form of military intelligence that we can't stop. Because God sees what we're talking about, and he's telling him, and he's telling the king. So the king said, well, let's just go capture Elisha. 
And they figure out, well, he's staying in Dothan. And so they get down there, and, um, and so they, they, the city, this little village wakes up in the morning, and literally there are chariots that are rounding the whole city, just going around it in circles. You know, and, and there's guys on horseback as well. And, and they wake up, and they're terrified. And they come running to Elisha and say, look, look, look at this, all these guys, we're, we're dead. You know, and, and Elisha, he prays, he says, Lord, just open their eyes and let them see your resources to us. And God opens the eyes of those who are with Elisha, and they look up, and, and there's all of God's armies on the hills. Then Elisha prays again. He says, Lord, just blind all these Arameans who are going around the city. And so, you know, when you're driving a chariot and you can't see where it's going, you, you, so, so they, they all stop. And so Elisha says to them, well, follow me. And he guides them down to the capital city of Israel. And he takes them right into the middle square of Samaria. And then he prays that God would open their eyes. And their eyes are opened. And, and so, you know, so th they wake up. That their eyes are open. They see they're in the middle of the enemy's camp. They're terrified. Even the king of Israel is saying, well, what should I do with these guys? Should I slaughter them or what should I do? And, and, and Elisha says, well, did you have anything to do with this? He says, you didn't have anything to do with it. He says, you know what? Give these guys a good meal and send them home and tell them to tell their king never to come back again because God's on guard. And the Arameans don't ever come back. I mean, prayer does some incredible things, right? And so, you know, that, that can kind of get your juices flowing, right? About prayer. But I got to tell you, I think most of us, when we read these kinds of stories, we don't get motivated to pray. We get intimidated by prayer, right? I mean, how many of you sitting there think, okay, I, I'm going to change the course of a nation just by my prayer? You know, I mean, we, 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 somehow or another, that seems like a, quite a leap for us, right? You know, that, that's, that's left for other kinds of people. I mean, I've known two prayer warriors in my lifetime. One of them was what actually was a church music professor I had in seminary. His name was uh, Dr. T.W. Hunt. This guy was a tremendous prayer. The other one was somebody who preached to us just a few weeks ago. It was Dr. Randy Sprinkle, from our, our, um, our, uh, who's a member of our church and, and for a long time was the head of the International Prayer Mis Ministry for our International Mission Board, literally developing the prayer strategy for 5,000 missionaries around the world. Th th those are the, really the only two major prayer warriors I've ever known. The rest of us, we just kind of like the peons back. In, we're the privates, right? We might, some of us might get promoted to specialists, but the rest of us, we feel like we're down here kind of thing. And, and there's a part of me that just wants to say, you know, we, we need to simplify prayer. You know, th we, we, there's a lot of stuff for us to talk about over the next few weeks, the theology and how it works and hindrances and Jesus' example for prayer and all that kind of stuff. But but I just think we need to come back and answer a couple basic why kind of questions about prayer today. You know, and one of those questions is, is why do we pray? Why is it that you and I pray? Because if we can get the why question right, I think a lot of other questions about prayer begin to kind of settle down. Because some of us were worried about abuses of prayer, that we start praying for stuff for us rather than God's glory and, you know, all those kinds of things. And we wonder, how does God's will fit into what we're praying? Am I praying? We get all these kinds of questions, but we just, if we can just come back to the simple question of why do we pray? Or maybe another way to say the same thing was, what's, what should be on our heart? How do we pray? And I want to give you some hints out of, Luke chapter 11 about why we pray. Let me give you a, a few, few hints here. First petition we really make is give us 
each day our daily bread. That's based on a need, right? We have a need for daily nourishment. Now, a few of us could afford to miss a few meals. I understand that. But by and large, we need daily nourishment, right? I've just started a book where the, these guys are going to be adrift in the ocean, for it seems like, for months and months and months. You know, there's times where they're praying for their daily bread. It's a need. Forgive us our sins. It's a need. Don't bring us into temptation. That's a need. You've got a friend who comes in the middle of the night and you've got to provide for him. You've got to fulfill a responsibility to him. You don't have the ability to do so. You reach out to someone else. You've got a need. You ask because you have a need. You seek because you have a need. You knock because you have a need. You ask of your father to give because you have a need. You sense a theme in there quite yet? We pray because we have a need. But I want to take it just a step further than that. I want to point you back to the, very, to, to the point in human history when men started to pray. The point in time, the very first time in human history when men started to pray. I'd love for you to turn back in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. So that's way over in the front of your Bibles, the very beginning. You'll find our text today on page four, on page four, okay, of the Bible. Just, just a little bit of the journey, because it's a short journey. We're only four chapters into the book of Genesis at that point, but God's created the world. He's brought Adam and Eve into existence. We've had the fall in the garden in chapter three. Adam and Eve have children. They have Cain and they have Abel. The two brothers... One gets jealous or envious of the other, and Cain kills his brother Abel. Then God gives them a replacement child. His name is Seth, and it means appointed or the appointed one. So God's blessing of working out his grace is not going to happen through Cain. It's going to happen through Seth, who is the appointed one, the chosen one. Seth has children. One of those, his name is Enosh, and we pick that up in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call the name of the Lord. Very first time when people began to pray, to call on God's name. Now, one of the things we would miss is, is that from this text is, is the significance of the name Enosh. Now, the name Adam means man, and it represents humanity. It represents mankind, all, you know, all who we are. Enosh, just a little different, has the idea of mortal man, man in his weakness. See, this name that's given to Enosh is, is, a, is, is a name that carries meaning for all of the generations that are a part of this. It's a time when men realized that they were sinful, that they were separated from God, and they needed God to meet their needs. And they began to cry out to God, to call out to Him. Man in his mortality, in his weakness, in his sinfulness, is crying out to God. Now, here, here's where I'm taking all of this. The reason why you and I pray, the key to getting prayer off the launching pad and getting it going in our lives, the thing that keeps us 
centered in our prayer. It's not that we pray because we have needs. It's because we pray because we need God. Now, there's a difference between those two. All of us have needs, right? How many of you could use more money? Yeah, <laughs> way to go, Natalie. Natalie could use some more money. Just see us out, out here in the lobby and we'll be able to. All of us, I mean, we, we have needs, vocationally, emotionally, health, relationships, the list goes on. We, we just have needs. And it's not that we cry out to God because we have needs. It's we cry out to God because we need God. And that's what keeps prayer centered and focused and what makes it healthy and grows and nourishes. It's not just the fact that we know that we have needs that we can't meet ourselves, things that we can't control on our own, but it's the acknowledgement that you and I really need God. And there's a difference. Because I tell you, I, I witness people all the time who are praying for God to meet their need but there really is no awareness of the fact that they really need God. There's a, there's a sense in which they're asking God to provide for them, but they really don't want God and the whole package that goes with it. There's, there's no readiness to adjust life, to, to be more faithful, to be uh, more righteous, to be more holy, to, to serve God more freely. To do any, there's none of that aspect. They, they want what God can do for them. They don't really sense that they need God. If God would just give me what I need, I could just do life on my own. That's not, that's not the key to prayer. The reason why we pray is because we are man in our mortal weakness, man in our sinfulness, man in our need for God. And if you and I will keep the why of prayer centered and focused, man, so much of the rest of it's going to go together. We pray because we need God. Now, the second question is this. Why does prayer work? Why does it work? Or maybe another question to put this was, you know, what's, uh, how, how does prayer lead to answers? You know, how, how does prayer get answered kind of idea? And, you know, for perhaps even maybe it's fair to ask the question, why does God answer prayer? And, and so the, the second thing I want us to kind of note is just kind of a, a real fundamental foundation of prayer is we pray not because we have needs, we pray because we need God. We also pray because we know who we pray to. We remember who God is. Now, the Scripture has lots of pictures of who God is. He, obviously, you're trying to take the infinite and just communicate it in some kind of finite language, and you, you kind of leave pieces of it together. But, but the Scripture tries to tell us who God is. There's lots of symptoms of that in this passage that we've looked at. God is our Father. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. That implies a caring relationship, right? A loving relationship, fellowship. Thy kingdom come. Implies that Jesus is a, that God is a king, right? That he actually has some authority or control. That if we ask, God will indeed give. That if we seek, we really will find. If we knock, God really will open the door. That God's ready to give us good gifts. In fact, he's ready to give us the Holy Spirit. Literally, his presence with us. And, 
as Jesus is, is unpacking all of this in Luke chapter 11, the things that, that kind of come up as a twin towers for us to remember is, one is that God is sovereign. We need to remember as we pray that God is sovereign. God's in absolute control. He's in charge, okay? He's king. You know, I love the story of, of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had this kind of this kind of a little bit of a tumultuous relationship with God. There were times when he exercised tremendous moments of faith where he just trusted God even in the face of huge odds and God just delivered. There were other times that Hezekiah's faith kind of wavered and he kind of looked for the worldly way. Well, you know, we're getting threatened from the outside. God's saying, trust on me. And he turned to diplomacy, trying to use the other nations around him. And so we see this is a time where not, God not only delivers Hezekiah from a, a deathly illness, an illness that was going to lead to death, but there's a time in which he, he's rebelled against the kings, the kings of Assyria. Uh, Assyria was the dominant nation on the planet at the moment. That, you, you know, we use the word nation builders today. We have a hard time being nation builders as the United States. These guys were nation crushers, okay? They, they crushed the northern nation of Israel, deported the ten tribes, never to be heard of again. Nations just gone just obliterated. That's the kind of power these nations had. And Hezekiah had rebelled against them, much because he had responded to the intrigue of Egypt to do just that. And the Assyrians show up. And they say, you know, and um, so they, they march into the land, and, and, and Hezekiah says, well, I've made a mistake. What is it going to take for you to go away? And they basically say, well, we re- really need all, your, we need all your gold, we need all your silver. You know, that we need 30 talents to this, just massive amount of gold and silver. I mean, they're literally taking the temple apart, Solomon's temple apart, and melting down pieces to produce enough gold and silver for them to go away. Now, after they've given them all the gold and silver that they have to meet the need, these Syrians are saying, you think that's really enough to make us go away? I mean, we, we, we crush nations. We... we we destroy gods. We take their temples and we destroy them and we obliterate gods. And you think you can make us go away with just a little bit of money. And so Hezekiah goes running into the temple and he prays. And he prays for God to deliver the nation. <laughs> now, you know, and so Isaiah, God speaks to Isaiah and he comes and he, and he, and he speaks to Hezekiah and he says, I've heard your prayer. I'm going to deliver the nation. He said, you know what, and, and God's going to say, you know, the funny thing about all of this, you know, is that the king, king Sennacherib is saying, you know, I'm a God crusher. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a nation destroyer. I'm, I mean, I'm in char- I can do whatever I want. He says, and he doesn't realize that I've been the one who's using him to do all that stuff. I've been dragging him all over the planet to do this stuff. And he has no idea. And he says, guess what? He says, I, I'm going to stick a hook in his nose, and I'm going to drag him back to Assyria where he's going to land up dead. It's almost like the image. You remember how your mothers used to grab you by the ear and drag you along? You know, God's just going to take the most powerful man on the planet. He's going to grab him by the ear and just drag him because God is sovereign. The reason why prayer works is not because you and I have mastered some special technique about how to kneel and how long to keep our eyes closed. It's because God's sovereign. Our prayer isn't based upon how competent we are. It's based upon the competency of God. And guess what? That God has said I love you, and I care about you. And when you talk to me, I'm going to listen. When you talk to me, I'm going to listen. 
You know, the word here is used throughout the Bible. And in the Hebrew sense, it's not just to literally hear, but it's also to respond. God's going to listen. He's going to react. The book of Psalms tells us that God's, God's has, he, is, he is wealthy in his loving kindness towards us. God has a bank account that ever can, can never be spent down. He's making so much interest on his love that no matter how much he spends on us, it's never going to go down. In fact, his loving kindness is just, you can't measure it just like you can't measure the distance between the earth and the heavens. You just can't. God loves us and he cares about us. And therefore he responds. And what that means is that the sovereign God of the universe who cares about us looks us in the eye and says, ask. Seek. Knock. You ask me, I'm going to give you good things. See, we need to remember that prayer works because of who God is, not because of who we are. We pray out of our acknowledgement that we need God, but we pray with a confidence that our prayer works because of who God is. It's powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff. I see in the Lord's Supper just a beautiful picture of this message that we've been learning today. On one side, it reflects to us as we observe the, the bread and the cup. It pictures for us our need for God, right? You and I need a Savior. We need somebody who's going to step in the gap it's going to deliver for us and be God's solution for our issue of our sinfulness. It represents the fact that we need God. In the same way, these elements of the bread and the cup, you know what they teach us? Is that God in his sovereignty has already met our need in Jesus Christ. That those who call upon the name of the Lord, our need for God, they will be saved because of who God is and what God's already done. So it's, it's the same picture of prayer. We, we call to God because we need God. Not just because we have needs, but because we need God. And God answers our prayers because of who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do because he cares about us even though he's the sovereign king. We need a savior. God gave us a savior. We know him as Christ the Lord. I'm going to invite those who are going to help serve the Lord's Supper to go ahead and take their positions in the, in the back. I think it's always powerful to read one of the accounts of the very first Lord's Supper as a part of our Lord's Supper experience. So we come today to remember our need for God and to remember what God has done in His sovereignty and His care for us to meet that need. Matthew 26 tells us, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and He blessed it and He broke it and He gave it to the disciples and He said, take and eat, this is my body. 
Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood that establishes a covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, from this moment, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in a new way in my Father's kingdom with you. Let's pray for just a minute. God, as we stand before your table today, we confess that we need you. None of us in here is perfect. We've all come short of your glory. We've all sinned. There's nothing we can do to change the past. We need a Savior. And God, as we observe this memorial meal today, this remembrance of what your son did on the cross for us by offering his body and his life. We acknowledge that you are sovereign, that the righteous truly can die once for all, the just for the unjust, so that in your sovereignty and in your love for us, you can bring us to yourself. God, we need you. And we see that you've answered our need. And for that, we give you thanks. That word seems so insufficient, but we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.